This is the London Live Podcast. Listen live weekdays from 1 to 3 on 980 CFPL. We're going to talk about a couple of serious things right off the start of the show. One, a family from Calgary who has lost touch with their daughter who moved to Hamilton to pursue a music career. And we're going to go to Calgary to find out a little bit more about what is happening not too far away from here. But I want to begin with the coronavirus. In fact, you probably just heard Jacqueline LaBelle talking about the numbers jumping in coronavirus infections in China. And we see these headlines, and we've heard from Canadian medical professionals, you know, we we have proper procedures in place. and But you go thinking, is this the one? Is this the virus that's going to kind of take over and become that super virus that we can't handle? Is this the smallpox of the 21st century? I don't know. So let's find out a little bit more because we are joined by an immunologist from the University of Toronto, Dr. Eleanor Fish. And Dr. Fish, I want to thank you so much for taking some time to speak with us today because when we do hear headlines, when we do hear news stories or read news stories, and it's talking about a new virus and it's talking about the holiday right now in China that's allowing a lot of people to travel and perhaps transmit this, the transmission going from human to human, we've seen the movie Outbreak. We've read the stand. It gets us kind of unnerved. When you hear about a virus like this, let's ask you this. How do you react? Well, I react very calmly. So first of all, your listeners should appreciate that the term coronavirus, all it means is that the virus is characterized by the fact that on its surface, it looks like it's got a crown. That's the corona bit, okay? Um they should also be reassured because another coronavirus um, we were familiar with was the SARS coronavirus. And subsequent to that, we put in place all kinds of protocols and mechanisms and infrastructure that should this new coronavirus arrive in Canada, we are extremely well prepared. Ooh, you make us feel so much better. Okay, well, let's just talk about what a coronavirus actually is. You mentioned SARS. How do they relate? Yeah. Uh, they're from the same family of viruses. So, you know, I don't want to get technical, but this is what's called a single-stranded positive RNA virus. It's transmitted, we've learned, through droplets. That's, in other words, whether you sneeze, you cough, or you spit on somebody, if you have the infection, they, will, they, they, they could become infected. Um, but the point is, it's much less transmissible than the SARS virus, so uh, and the mortality is much lower. So it's not what we call as virulent, as you know, aggressive to this point as the SARS virus. So SARS virus had about a 14 to 15 percent uh, death rate, whereas it's only about 3.5 percent with this new virus. So it's less aggressive. And we suspect that the transmission is also not as effective. So again, be reassured. Good. Dr. Eleanor Fish joining us as we talk about the coronavirus, learn a little bit more about what it is, as Dr. Fish has just described. And twice now, we've heard Dr. Fish say, everything's okay, let's not sound any alarm bells. So when something like this comes out and becomes a news story, is that the media picking up on this and creating some hype, or is there really something to 
you know, watch out for in whether it's in China or, or whether this virus can spread worldwide? Well, so, so absolutely, um, it's appropriate to be vigilant. So far, there have been cases that have been exported from Wuhan in China to South Korea, to Japan, to Thailand, in one case in the USA. Um, so, yes, one should be concerned. But if I can just jump in here and tell you what we learned from SARS and how well we are prepared in Canada. We've got better communication. We've got a rapid viral test. We've got better screening procedures. We've got more infrastructure for infection control. So when people show up at a hospital, they're screened, they're isolated. We've got teams in place ready to handle them. And we've got policies in place to prevent transmission. So we learned a lot from SARS. You know, Canada became a leader in how to uh, screen for and put in place prevention of transmission. Dr. Fisher, we do keep hearing that one day a super virus will break out and it will not have really any way to treat it and it will have devastating effects and we can go back to, you know, I don't know whether we classify smallpox that way, you let us know, or the plague, but when we look in those terms, is that something that we're we're still having to be watching out for or with all of what we have prepared for, are we in as good of shape as we can possibly be? We absolutely are. So, you know, so this new coronavirus, we don't have a vaccine and we don't have what we call an antiviral. So the only way we deal with this is through containment and isolation. And my point is that we're extremely well prepared to jump into that scenario. So you're not going to get, it's highly unlikely that there's going to be spread in the community as was the case or as is the case in China. In China, people live in very close proximity to those animals that were infected with the virus, and that's how it spread. We don't have open markets. You know, people don't wander around the streets of, uh, you know, London and, and touching poultry and fish becoming infected and passing it on. So it's a completely different situation. Plus, we have those what we call tertiary care facilities that are extremely um, well prepared to provide the kind of supportive care to deal with anybody who's infected. If other parts of the so world... It's not going to be a plague. Good. It's not going to be a plague. Glad to hear that. <laughs> but, uh, but a smallpox case, could something like that, and I don't mean actual smallpox, but a virus that has the effect of, you know, of a devastating effect, could it one day kind of take over, or would that go to countries more so that don't have these protections in place? Yeah. Again, these, these kinds of infections, whether it was Ebola or whether it was SARS or now this novel coronavirus, they pop up in, they don't pop up in Canada. They don't pop up here, right? Because we don't have that animal to trans, to human transmission uh, potential. You know, it, you know, avian flu, perhaps if a bird flew in Canada that was infected and, and pooped on somebody, yes, there's a possibility. But it's highly unlikely, and our healthcare system is extremely well prepared. So it would be contained. People would be quarantined. There would be communication across the country how to deal with this. If one had a suspected case, even if hospitals were overwhelmed, we'd communicate to the public, this is what you do. So I really don't think that... Um, the concern should be, you know, 
overwhelming. We should be vigilant. We should have all these procedures in place. And, and the listeners should be aware that, you know, supportive care in our hospitals in Canada are such that, you know, you should be able to prevent death. You, know, you can what we call intubate, but it's a respiratory disease, so the lungs become, you know, bunged up, let's say. So the idea is that you would provide oxygen. You know, maybe in Wuhan they weren't able to do that as effectively as we can in our hospitals here. Another reason to be very thankful for where we live. Dr. Fish, thank you so much for your time today. My pleasure. Goodbye. Dr. Eleanor Fish, so... Yeah, I mean, we're not. Are we going to prevent it? No, it's a thing that can jump from human to human, but we're as set up as we can be, and through things like quarantine, and even Doctor Fish mentioned it. If it's a respiratory disease, we have the ability to say, "Hey, the lungs are filled with goop. While you can't breathe, we'll find a way to breathe for you. We'll intubate you, and we'll make that happen." And that's the kind of luxury we have in Canada. So, yeah, is this a concern for the world? Sure, it is. Is it a concern in Canada? You heard Dr. Fish. Did she sound overly concerned? No. No, she didn't. That's on the coronavirus. You're probably going to hear about a story that, in a way, originated in Calgary and now involves both the province of Alberta and the province of Ontario. And it deals with a woman named Holly Ellsworth-Clark. And she flew from Calgary to Ontario, Hamilton region, and was looking to pursue music as a career. And now, she has disappeared. Joining us from Calgary is Jill Croteau, who is a global news reporter. Jill, thank you so much for taking some time for us. My pleasure, Mike. Jill, let's kind of go back to the beginning of this story. Can you tell us a little bit more about, uh, you know, someone who who really wanted to come and make a go of it in the music world, somebody named Holly Ellsworth-Clark? Yeah, she was quite successful here in Calgary. She's certainly known within the music scene. You know, she would play at some open mics, certainly a lot of gigs, And so she left in 2018 um, because she felt like there was a longing to take it further. And she had some aspirations and there were some contacts in Hamilton. So she went there back in 2018 and, and has been there ever since. Okay. And for a while, her family had direct contact with her? Almost daily. Everything, um, you know, there was no indication to suggest that anything was amiss until just a couple days before she went missing. Um, It it was a bit of a haunting phone call that Holly had made to her dad. She said that she was afraid for her life, that she was being chased by two men, and she was terrified. That's how her father characterized it. And then the next day, she had left a voicemail to her dad saying, I love you. Please buy me a one-way ticket out of here. I want to come home. I miss you. And that was the last point of contact, really the last sign of life that they had of their daughter. Oh, my. You said it haunting. So what has taken place in the time since then? Well, this is a a real complex story because there are two different versions um, of perhaps what might have happened to Holly. I mean, her family, her friends, her loved ones, those who know her say this just isn't like Holly. Um, 
Why, why are the police not investigating possibilities of human trafficking? Who are these two men who are chasing her? I mean, when her brother and her father and the rest of their family sort of converged onto Hamilton, they were calling for her name in the woods. Like, that's how rudimentary, that's where this really all started. They were shouting her name in the woods, saying, Holly, where are you? It is now amounted to, like, and a really exhaustive search. It does involve the Hamilton police, but they say nothing criminal is at play here. They were sort of focusing on the fact that Holly left her place distraught, saying that she was in crisis, and she had left without any personal belongings, including a cell phone, her wallet. She wasn't properly dressed, and she had left, um, as they say, distraught. And talking to her dad yesterday, he's like, you know, we went down that path. We went down the track thinking, could mental health be at play here? But he is just sort of clinging to the fact that, no. This is just, this doesn't make sense. This doesn't add up. And they're still really honing in on the fact that who are these two men that she felt so threatened by. Jill Croto joining us, Global News reporter in Calgary, as we talk about the disappearance of Holly Ellsworth Clark, who is from Calgary, arrived in Hamilton in 2018, pursuing a music career, and then a couple of weeks ago went missing. So, have they have they found her belongings? You mentioned, did she leave without her cell phone and her wallet left home? She left without anything. And and that's what they, that, 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 that story really plays to the fact that she was terrified. She was scared. She might have been confused. So where did she go? I mean, they're, they're to the point where they have done a ground search. There was a possible sighting um, in a hotel in Hamilton. Police say they went there, they checked every single room, they've been checking surveillance video. Really, there's been no trace of her. I mean, there's no, nothing used on her bank card or her credit card. There's just no, they've been tracking that. They're asking people within the suburb where she was living to check their yards, their sheds, their garages. You know, perhaps she's hiding out, scared somewhere. But, I mean, you know, they just have no sign of her. And we're going on to 10, 11 days now. And are they still in Calgary, her family? No, they're in Hamilton. They've been there for uh, about a week. They took the first flight out and have been there ever since. Uh, Some of her friends are also there. They've dropped everything. And um, her dad says that, that, uh, you know, he still has an instinct that she's alive and until he hears her voice again, until he sees her, he's just not going to stop giving up hope. Boy, and this this is a pretty unique story. We don't hear things like this very often, do we? No, it's very unusual. And to sort of have such diverse paths of investigation with the family and the police. I mean, the police are pretty hardline. They're, they're like, we want nothing more than to reunite Holly with her family, but we don't suspect anything criminal. But you've got friends and family, people who know Holly, saying, what's going on here? Why are they not investigating who these two strange men are? Like, you know, they're, they're upset with law enforcement thinking, you know, they're not doing enough. So you've got this conflict at play, but I mean, both sides, no matter how you look at it, they really all just want the same outcome, and that's to bring Holly home. Jill, thank you so much for covering the story. Thanks for talking about it with us today. My pleasure, Mike. Take care. You too. That's Jill Croto, global news reporter in Calgary. Just a, a devastating story, and one that is is still you know, holding out hope if 
you go to 980cfpl.ca or you go to globalnews.ca, you can actually see Jill's story. And if you're looking just to Google search it, search Global News, Calgary Family, Desperate Search, Daughter in Hamilton, and it certainly will pop up. And then you can actually see pictures of Holly Ellsworth-Clark because Hamilton's not that far away from here. Who knows what has happened, but there are several pictures of Holly. There is even a brochure that was created. She's 27 years old. She has kind of brownish blonde hair, long hair. She's got brown eyes. She's about six feet tall, about 200 pounds. She's athletic. She's muscular. And she was last seen basically January 11th and left home without her wallet, without her phone. Those are things that are just too unusual to ignore in 2020. Nobody leaves home without their wallet and without their phone and then disappears for an extended period of time. So right now, yes, Hamilton police have been involved, as Jill said. Are they actively searching? Well, I'm not sure that it's actively searching because they they have ruled that they have not seen any kind of illegal activity, but police are asking residents to be on the lookout. They are asking residents to check their yards, check their garages, check their sheds, that sort of thing. So, again, you can go to globalnews.ca or 980cfpl.ca, and you can see a lot of pictures of Holly. Our next guest has arrived, and I want to talk about this because I'm fascinated to know how this is actually going to work. There is a company, and that company is dealing in basically unwanted stuff. So taking, whether it's old plastics and recyclables, and finding a way to turn them into new plastics. Now, we've talked about this as it pertains to tires. There was a study done at Western University not too long ago, and it was dealing with tires and being able to break things down into the tiniest polymers and then turn tires back into new tires. Well, this gets a little bit different. The company is called UBQ, and UBQ has come up with a climate-positive material in auto part manufacturing. That's the first part of this. Second part of this is that Daimler is going to test this. And we have an opportunity to hear from the CEO and co-founder of UBQ Materials, Tato Biggio. So, Tato, maybe we can get you to describe where this technology comes from and kind of what this technology does. In fact, the, the, the technology that UBQ has developed is uh, quite a, uh, an, uh, a futuristic, let's say, a solution one of the biggest uh, problems that uh, we all humans face, which is household waste. We are creating enormous amounts of uh, waste every day, materials where, that we uh, invested uh, time, energy, uh, manpower, uh, and other resources to create, and that are uh, simply uh, dumped in landfills, uh, uh, and materials that are valuable are, are really forgotten uh, in, in landfills where they basically will decompose into into very uh, noxious gases like methane, and uh, and we're losing our natural resources. So we're living in a ne- linear economy where we extract, produce, consume, 
throw away, and then we're leaving much less to our future generations. And that is a huge problem. Many companies are talking about circular economy. How can you reuse things? And the best way to do that in, the, in this place in time is recycling. The issue with recycling, which is a very important thing to do, is that you need to separate the different streams of materials in order to convert them back into what they were before. So plastics are, 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 are taken together to convert them into recycled plastic, cardboard into cardboard, paper into paper, and the foodstuff, there's no solution except composting, which is also very problematic. Here comes UBQ with a revolutionary idea. We take everything together. We don't separate. We take the foodstuff, the chicken bones, the banana peel, the hamburger leftovers, the pizza with the box and the oregano, and we take also the paper and the, and the, and the, and the mixed plastics from the packaging, the yogurt you just threw away with the plastic bag, all those materials, including the diapers of your kid if you have, uh, and we convert all these materials into a new composite thermoplastic material that has properties that are thermoplastic, meaning that it's like plastic, and you can use it in existing industry, in the existing plastic machinery to make the kind of products we're used to use every day. But instead of using plastics that are made out of oil and that are expensive and scarce, you are using waste. This is remarkable. I mean, this, this is amazing to hear. Now, what gave you the idea that you didn't have to do all of this separating? You just mentioned it, chicken bones, hamburgers, packaging, all of that stuff. It doesn't matter if it's involved in that. So what made you think, hey, that's not a problem? So uh, uh, here, here is where, the, where, the, where the really the, the science comes in. Uh, this is nothing, uh, uh, this is not by chance. This is, there is a very thorough um, uh, uh, science uh, into this. Uh, and, and I'll explain to you. Uh, organic matter in nature uh, is composed uh, by, um, by various particles that are common in every living creature, okay? So if it's a plant or if it's uh, an animal, uh, 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 okay, you will find the same building blocks in nature. And these building blocks are uh, ligaments like, like lignin and cellulose and other ligaments, uh, uh, different fibers and sugars. Uh, once we break down all the organic matter, and when I say organic matter, is 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 the foodstuff, the cardboard and the paper that are come from uh, from uh, wood, right? From from trees. So once, and which is the majority of our waste. We decompose those uh, materials into its basic natural components, and then once we have this uh, common denominator of components, then forget about the banana peel and the chicken bone and the hamburger. You just have a new set of materials to play with that are, that are common to everybody, to everyone. Now we need to uh, restructure them and, 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 and uh, connect them together, and that is what we do. Uh, eh, eh, in our in our really processed technology, which is patented, obviously, uh, we connect all these materials together and create a matrix that bonds all these materials together. And the plastics, the mixed plastics that are present in the household waste, which are between 20 to 30 percent of the of the stream of materials, they they blend into this matrix. They become part of the, this matrix and create a singular material that is homogeneous and and consistent, which, uh, which we call UBQ material. 
So the, the magic basically uh, is, is how to break down and rebuild uh, these materials into this matrix in a way that is consistent and that can be uh, safely used in existing industries without changing the, the normal course of business. Uh, and of course, coming with an attractive price. Because when you come with these ideas at expensive prices, people say beautiful, sustainable, green, but uh, people are not really willing to pay more. In the case of UBQ, we're coming at competitive prices, and therefore there's no reason why you as a consumer wouldn't want to use a UBQ material instead of plastic. We are talking with Tato Biggio, who is the co-founder and CEO of UBQ Materials. They transform unsorted waste, and Tato has said it, chicken bones, bananas, they, they may all be in there, but then you break it down into, as Tato pointed out, the matrix that can be reformed, and they take that unsorted waste and put it into renewable materials, creating more of that circular economy. Now, here's the second part of this. Daimler, an okay. automotive company, has decided to test your material. What has that moment been like for you? <laughs> it's, um, uh, in a way, uh, what Daimler is doing is what the, what the, 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 what the world wants, uh, uh, wants really to do. I mean, uh, uh, we all, we all today, today, we all feel the impact of climate change. We're feeling the impact of, of, of depleting our natural resources the deforestation, uh, 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 the lack of confidence on the future that we will be giving to our children. Circular economy today is, is not anymore a buzzword. It's a reality. And these big companies are looking to comply with their commitment to their customers to do the best they can, uh, you know, to be green, to, 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 to think better about the future. Uh, I think that Daimler uh, is, is at the top of technology, and that the, the fact that a company like Daimler, which is involved in very luxury and precise equipment, is willing to test the material with UBQ shows the type of commitment that uh, this company uh, has toward its customers. I strongly believe that many other companies will come uh, to us and also probably to other companies that are doing sustainable materials uh, to see how to integrate these materials into their existing product lines and to basically uh, uh, come good with a commitment to the customers or consumers to, to, to do the best in order to um, keep our planet uh, as green as possible. Tato, you mentioned price and that you have to be very wary of price when you are presenting what it is that you have. How did you keep your costs down? Because a lot of times the renewable side of things just comes with that right. extra price, and you say, well, yeah, but that's because it's renewable, and you hope that someone will say, okay, I'll, I'll take on the extra, I'll pay the extra in order to have that kind of renewable attitude about this. How did you keep your prices okay. low enough to attract something like this? Okay, so, so uh, the simple answer is as follows. We're taking household waste that is going to landfills, and to dump the waste in landfills is becoming more and more expensive. Now imagine that you're taking a material that nobody wants, that some even countries or cities are willing to pay you to take in order to, to relieve themselves from the problem of what to do with it. So we're coming with a, with a let's say with a feedstock that is, uh, you know, doesn't cost us probably anything. In some places they will even pay us to, to take. 
and then we do this uh, conversion. So we start with a very, let's say, cheap or, or even negative uh, cost of uh, raw material uh, to create this, uh, this, uh, this uh, composite that uh, has a very high value. So we're really upcycling. We're, we're giving a, a much higher value to, to those streamable materials uh, where that, that basically there's nothing to do with them, and that is why it costs so much to, to dump them. So we have created a very efficient process to convert that source of material into a very high-value material. That those are the margins that we can create and be competitive, uh, as opposed to many of the alternatives that regrettably are much more expensive than the than the virgin uh, uh, materials that they are trying to replace. And therefore, at the end of the day, they depend on subsidies or in uh, or you know or or mandates or this type of uh, subsidy. You know, uh, in, in our case, uh, uh, we don't. We have a very a strong business model, uh, and uh, and that is something uh, uh, that we're very happy because it allows us to really create an industry out of what we're doing without requiring necessarily the support of uh, of, of regulation or subsidies to succeed. This is just a very uh, interesting business model that can sustain itself for the long term. Well, Tato, it is a wild story. We'll certainly pay close attention to the testing. Congratulations for getting to where you are right now. Thanks so much for spending some time with us. Thank you so much. And uh, and I'm here for anything uh, you or your audience uh, may, want to, may want to know uh, more about our company. You're invited to come to our site and uh, see a bit more of what we're doing. <laughs> Tato, thanks again. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Tato Biggio, co-founder of UBQ, as they are able to break down, Tato even said, what, chicken bones, hamburgers, throw that in, doesn't matter. It all breaks down to tiny enough molecules that they reform it into plastic, and that would be one thing if it was just, yeah, that's what they do, but Daimler has decided to test their plastic, test their material, and that's going to be the really interesting thing to watch in all of this. So that is Tato Biggio from UBQ. And the ability to to break things down and build them back up again and create that circular economy. You've been listening to the London Live podcast. Catch the show live on weekdays from 1 to 3.